Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and we are here today to talk all things Caliban's War. It's the second book in the Expanse series, so we'll go around the room. Chris, you want to kick us off with an introduction? Yeah, my name's Chris. I have a YouTube channel that concentrates mainly on books and film. Uh, just whatever I'm feeling at the time, and uh, watch the TV series all through. You know, I'm doing a reread and actually a re subsequent rewatch of the TV series. So this fits in quite nicely. Is it me Robin? next? Yeah. Oh my <laughs> <laughs> so, hi, my name is Robin. Uh, I have a YouTube channel called Bookends and Biscuits, uh, where I mostly talk about sci-fi with a sprinkling of crime and fantasy. Uh, so this fits very much in my wheelhouse as a, as a good sci-fi series. And I'm uh, Leila Goshi. I'm, um, I'm an English professor, but I'm also a writer, um, creative writing, um, book reviews, journalistic type articles. Um, and I love reading uh, sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and just anything um, fun and innovating. So nice. happy to so be I'd, here. Yeah, I'm glad, glad you can all make it. And we're all around the world. So it's really neat that we can, uh, you know, always make these happen. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, so it's the second book uh, in, the, in the series. I wanted to get kind of an overall feel for it. Chris, what did you think of this one? Yeah, I, I th these books are strange because I think in isolation they're just kind of fun. But every time you read another one, it adds like another kind of like layer on top of it. It's kind of went right. I'm a bit more invested in this. There's a couple more characters, a couple more point of views, and when you watch the TV series and this and this on the side, you're kind of already in that world and just kind of eating up every single bit that that's that's in there. So yeah, I just think it's great fun. And I think it's a really interesting story as well because it goes so many different uh, places. Robin, what were you, this is a reread for you, right? Yep, yep, still rereading, yeah. <laughs> Haven't quite got to the, uh, the book I left off. For this one, um, I, I'm a fan of the series, it's great. I actually didn't like this one as much as the first, but I think that's because I felt like it was very similar. So I did feel like it was almost a, the same kind of formula of the first book. Um, obviously you have got the new, uh, new characters in there, which I absolutely adore. I think they were a great addition and I do love them, but it would be nice to see something a little bit new, I think. And I think rereading, actually, that I did remember this one more. Um, so that may have been part of it, I'm not sure. But yeah, I thought I thought uh, didn't wow me as much as the first one did, so. Yeah. Layla, what did you think of this one? Yeah, I, I basically liked it. I agree with uh, both Chris and Robin. I think it is very fun. I think there is a, a formula to it that once you start noticing, you know, um, you come to expect, you know, like, um, you know, like, for example, in certain moments of stress, uh, there's some humor as well. And I do enjoy the humor of it um, for what it is, you know. Um, but there are some serious themes, too. But um, overall, I, I basically liked this uh, second book. Yeah, it, it was pretty similar to the first one. I think the first one, uh, in reading the second one, is a very strong first book in a series mm -hmm. like this. Uh, but yeah, there is kind of a formula, and the the humor uh, towards towards the end. I'm sure we'll talk about it. But the humor um, it got a little, it got to be a little bit too much. It was a little bit. It became like okay, let's get on with it. Like it's <laughs> it's the, kind of the same things over and over again. But uh, not bad. But um, our friend uh, Fit to Be Red is here. One of my favorites of the Expanse books because it introduced. Oh my. Oh my. 
I'm already put on the spot. Avicerella, yeah. I think that's right, and character develop and character development in the series. Mm-hmm. That's one of one of my favorite characters in the TV show and in this book. What did everyone think of that character? Oh, I love Avicerella. <laughs> I, you know, I really do. Um, I was introduced to her for, first through the show, um, so I I felt like um, in this book when we first meet her, we get a much softer impression of her or my impression of her, even though, you know, she is cursing. Um, the the writers are careful to show that, um, you know, she's, um, she's a grandma and she loves her husband and she has this peaceful home life, but she does have this uh, heartbreak of the loss of her older son. So it's a more humanizing way of seeing her than I expected, having seen the show already. Yeah, it feels like it touches on that much later in the show of bringing back at home to earth for and, and the family aspect of her. But you're right at the at this early stage, it's very much she's not really in power yet. She's very much the under the assistant, the undersecretary kind of thing, and and she's kind of still got as much of a home life as she does this kind of political aspirations uh, for where she's going to go. Yeah, I think she, uh, I think again with the soft side of it, there's a lot of explanation about how she has a mask as well. So a lot of her swearing and how she treats people is just how she manages to get through her job essentially and how she works with people. But I also think that her relationship with her husband is utterly adorable. Mm-hmm. I just love, I love the idea that you can have uh, a strong female lead who's in such a thing and her husband is so supportive and I understand if you show that there are things but in this book specifically I just think it's adorable like like some of the scenes where uh, she's calling him or deciding whether or not to call him because she knows it's going to affect her um, and like, when he meets her at the end I'm just like oh my god <laughs> it's, so, it's so so sweet but I just think she's I just think she's such a fabulous character where she's just like goes through the whole thing just doing what she kind of wants to do and like leading it through that way i just think she's just she's just fantastic <laughs> i i love how the husband is such a grounding stick for her just like you said robin you know when she's having these moments of incredible anxiety or don't know what to do she's like right thinks of him whether she contacts him or not it's kind of one thing but she thinks of him and say right where am i who am i as a person what, what am i going to do next and uh and, and move forward from there but she's such a fabulous character because she thinks there's a couple there's a couple like this in the whole series that could go either way on every decision so they could go totally dark they could go totally right they do redemptive they could do destructive but it's still consistent with who they've been represented in in the series i think that's one of the really fabulous things about a lot it happens with a couple of characters in it uh but specifically because she's a new character in this in this novel I think it's so well done because that happens so quickly in a book. Like she's only in a couple of chapters and then you already know kind of what it is from the soft. And, and, and it probably links to that family link and then who she is in her job. And you see both sides very quickly and you go, right, okay. that That's that's who they could be on any given moment. I do like, um, you know, uh, how they depict that she does have that political sense and she knows that they're set, going to set her up you know, they're going, she knows they're going to try to, you know, silence her, put her off to the side. And um, so through the story, she, she overcomes that. And then the meeting with um, James Holden, 
um, it, it has its strong and weak points. I mean, she does walk in and take over, so that shows her great uh, characterization. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't know what more I wanted from that scene, though. Um, maybe it came up too quick again for me. Um, so, uh, but in terms of how she's characterized, I, I think they've done a good job with that. Yeah, it was lovely the way that, oh, not lovely, but kind of the way that she was playing it, where she knew she had to play into the trap almost, because otherwise she would be completely off the field and how she trying to, ha I know, and again, I know you can kind of see how it was going to go, but the fact that she had to play into it and then had to explain to people that she still had to play into it so that she could have the potential to get out of the situation rather than just not have that at all and give up there. So, but it was, um, but yeah, I also liked those kind of discussions as well. She's savvy though. You know, she over. banks herself yeah. in those situations, you know, to say, yeah. like, I know I'm in a bad situation here, but it's not over yet. And I have belief <laughs> that I'll find some way to get through it. So it's yeah. that intelligence that she's the smartest person in the room. And maybe that's why that that meeting with Holden doesn't work, because Holden's not the smartest man in the room. He's very much the very <laughs> consistent person, even though he's the hero of the story in some ways. You know, he's not. He's just he's just a moral center, I think, for, for each book because he's going to make the same decision every single time. I think you know very very much. This is what he's going to do. You know what Jim's going to do most of the time, whereas you have these other characters that are very volatile that kind of do. And I think that's the way I feel about it anyway. Well, yeah, but did you think in this book, obviously, because they had that whole play, just sorry to move on to Holden, they had yeah. that whole play where there was like this explanation of his maybe not being the moral center at the beginning. So mm -hmm. uh, so it's kind of like. Um, yeah, what did you guys think of that? Because I was, I didn't know if I liked that or not. His kind of like turning into Miller and having that kind of darker side and his trauma almost and decisions he was making. Yeah, I, I think they kind of explain that away through the journey of the book because you know it's kind of that release that he ends up give, getting from uh, Fred Johnson when he finally gets let go. It's that weight that got lifted off his shoulders, you know, to say, Oh god, I wasn't who I really was for, for parts. Of this past period because of the trauma and because it's affected by trauma and then you could kind of come back and say right again where's that grounding for him what caused him to ground what's his grounding thing and it probably starts to develop that it's naomi is the grounding stick for him mm -hmm. and again in relationships and again this kind of supported by a very strong female character uh, on the side and the fact she her she just leaves him alone for that period as well robin is, is kind of you know she just kind of ignores him says you need to figure this kind of stuff out <laughs> i don't know who you are sort yourself out <laughs> yeah exactly right <laughs> we all need somebody like that yeah. and there is a, a section where he does say he he kind of thinks back that you know he was um really he was his guy with a com comfortable job you know on what an ice freighter and uh dating women he pretended to you know be be in love with or whatever um but um it was only when true pressure you know when he truly um met pressure that he um became that moral center but first he had to go through that process um of both um opposing what miller represented but then adopting Miller's tactics. And then, yes, I, I agree that Naomi was like his centering force. Yeah. So, but you, oh, I was just going to make a comment that um, you make a great point of the roles the characters are, well, both of you, Robin and Chris, 
the roles that characters play in each other's lives because Naomi uh, serves a role for, for James, but then I think Bobby serves a role for us, the reader, to, because as she's watching Avra Sarala go through um, what she's going through, it's Bobby that's saying, you know, who is this woman? And, you know, she, you know, just other, other um, observations. And at first is very skeptical of her, but then becomes very, uh, you know, uh, loyal to her in, in some ways. And I felt like she was taking me, the reader, through those levels mm -hmm. as well. I'm glad you mentioned Ava Sorella and her, I got the name right, and her um, her character because I thought she had the the best. I think she was very well-rounded because we all have those masks that we wear, whether we're at work or with friends or with whatever it is. We all have those different sides to us. We all have those different uh, modes we put ourselves in. So seeing her family side and then her, her shrewd and political scheming side, that was great to have both mm -hmm. sides of it and not be a one-dimensional character where she's just scheming all the time. That she can't, uh, you know, love somebody the way she loves her husband, or love her grandkids, or feel the loss of her own son. So I thought that was all really great in building that character, making it. She to me is the best character so far, even though Holden is, I guess, the hero or whatever. He is very, uh, you know, I like I like the character, but he's he's not all that interesting, really. Like as a I was gonna say, he's born as all hail. Let's be honest, Jim. <laughs> What's Naomi seeing him for love of God? <laughs> yeah, she was asking that herself for a while too. So. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and her her whenever when Avastrella came in and she kind of took over, I kind of felt like everyone on the ship just kind of assumed she was the best qualified person to take over, and they didn't really question it too much because when Holden took over, it was kind of like, well, you're the most qualified, so you're it, and they all have that selfish look at the whole situation like okay you have you give us the best chance so take the reins um uh holden's um holden's journey and him turning into someone like miller i think miller gets a really bad rap by the way but i yeah. i think uh <laughs> but uh you know seeing that that turn he takes i don't think that was given enough attention to make it really impactful it was you noticed it but it wasn't it didn't have that punch that it could have had if more time was spent on him maybe having uh, more flashbacks or bad dreams or something to to kind of show where his mind was from the first book into what is about the middle of the second book kind of giving it give it some more weight to make that make that moment uh, you know a bigger deal for us as a reader I, I agree actually because um, although he obviously is I guess more aggressive in the first part where he's going to the um, is, it, is it Ganymede um, actually you don't I didn't almost pick up on some of that until Naomi starts saying oh god you wouldn't have made those decisions so I think you're right it would have been nice to have not, not more of the trauma but more of a maybe an expression of the trauma so that it was more identifiable before it was picked up by another character for you um so yeah I do agree with that I think it was I was kind of like oh yeah oh he was being a bit more aggressive <laughs> so that's a great point because I really went with it I felt like he he did need to become more aggressive considering the situations he was being placed in. Um, and I found it strange at first that Naomi was, um, you know, telling him to back off. I mean, you know, he's in the middle of this food, almost food riot. Um, 
and um, you know, she I know she doesn't want him to further inflame what's going on, but at the same time, well, yeah, it's important to, you know, be uh, have some protection while you're while you're doing that. So I, you know, I was going with it. So I guess <laughs> I was looking for more um, fire fire power, I guess. <laughs> it's interesting for such a heavy character written story. There's so much happens though in terms of set pieces and in terms of action that yeah. maybe it's just difficult to squeeze in the dream sequence or the you know the the, the period of that because it's always it's yeah. always obviously each chapter is written from one point of view you know and it passes off round so if you're written from one point of view point of view then the internal person doesn't always see the trauma I mean and, and often facts are the last person to see the trauma and you only see that through reflection of somebody else like Naomi or whoever it is that's, that's dealing with them. Really good point. And uh, Peter is here. Hello, Peter. And I know you have a couple Hello. of questions about what we're reading, but we'll we'll come back to that at the end when we're uh, when we're done with. Uh, he's asking what we're reading, what we're reading now. But we'll come back to that one at the end. And uh, one of the things that, speaking of Holden, one of the things that I really am not enjoying is that romance between him and Naomi because they seem so different, and it it just doesn't. I don't know, they just don't seem like it would, they would fit. And the, the the back and forth they have just isn't very interesting to me. It's not as interesting as the Abbasarella relationship with her husband because you see the complexity in that. And then Naomi and Holden, it almost seems, it just doesn't seem, it seems kind of forced to me. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of substance there. Am I the only one? Or It seems like a relationship of convenience. She's literally the only suitable female left in the ship. Even going back to the old, you know, the old yeah. Canterbury, the, he seemed to have dated everybody else that there was in the ship and in some way, shape or form. So she's like the only one left. And she she is a character or a person of substance. Mm -hmm. But the political leanings and all are all over the place. Like they are not similar in any kind of way. She's the OPA person that's left the OPA to try and make a life for herself. But she's still very rooted in that. And of course, that comes out through the series in kind of what she thinks should happen the belt and he's very much well he's this earth boy but no real love for, for earth but at the same stage he's kind of like a space hopper and mm -hmm. uh, more so than anything else is happy to exist and live in space I, I i i don't get that relationship at all it, I, I didn't get it in the tv series like it's not to say that's bad the actor i just don't think, think it's there I agree. It's part. It it still seems partly of convenience to me because they even had that conversation. I mean, Naomi even basically accused him uh, of that at the beginning. Um, but I think from a character perspective of them, you know, whether they get along or not, I started noticing that we are learning about everyone's backstory except Naomi's. Hmm. You know, and you know, since we've watched the show, we ultimately know Naomi's backstory. But I, I noticed, you know, we hear about uh, Bobby's father and her brother and Avrasarala, of course, and James and all of that, but we don't hear about Naomi. So, um, so we still, she's, I think that adds to the, what we're lacking in their relationship. Because he doesn't really understand her yet. And he doesn't really seem to want to understand that there's no none of that proven but where you try and find out and try and learn who somebody is by asking them about themselves or anything it's all very much one direction that's right. what it seems to be you know robin what do you think 
<laughs> I like a romance. I like a romance. But no, again, I think like the other book where we had the uh, first book where the romance that we enjoyed was the um, Miss Miller, and then this one it's oh god, as Avasarana, <laughs> terrible, um, and her husband. And um, yeah, I think you're right. You don't. We haven't explored Amy at all yet, and it does. I do agree. It's kind of one-sided, but um, I always enjoy romance, so mm -hmm. <laughs> enjoy it. It's not too bad. And another great character that was Bobby. Um, I love Bobby. This great character. She's she's terrific because I I, I like how she's not just a meathead. I mean, she's the head of a, somebody's brought up in the military background and all the rest of it. But again, she's, she's someone to be smart. She sniffs out the mole. She, she does all that covertly, you know, without prompting or anything. It's just who she is as a person. And, uh, yeah, this, I, I, great to have this real strong female character in the military role as well. I, I, I think that's, uh, it doesn't have to be the heavy, heavy because it's two heavy heavies. There's one male, one female, I think, in in the in the show, and they're very, very different uh, in terms of background and upbringing and where they're coming from, etc. But, but Bobby's Bobby's lovely, though. You know, for somebody that's dangerous, <laughs> I, th I think you wouldn't mind meeting Bobby. <laughs> I like how um, you know they uh, the authors did show that Bobby and Abisarala are they have um, parallel motivations in that, you know, Avarsarala says she's always trying to have her son come back, you know, knowing he never will. So that's what's motivating her. And um, it is her, uh, Bobby's dead comrades that is motivating Bobby uh, to continue. So it's like they both have, um, they both share similar instincts, but for different reasons. And that was a really, really cute scene actually between them when they're both having that discussion and, and trying to work that out and, and go through why they're doing what they're doing. I, I did really like that scene. I think Bobby's really good because she's, she they play her as a fish out of water really well because she's like, what am, I, what am I even doing here? Sort of thing. She doesn't know kind of what she's doing or why she's here, but she kind of, thinks it's the right thing to do uh, so i did like the explanation of that and her thought process of whether or not she was a traitor and how she kind of handled that side of a thing um and just ended up being quite confused a lot of the time which i think is is good because you don't you wouldn't know what was happening all the time so i kind of liked how they kind of left that as well um which was quite interesting there's a question here then because i i know some people discuss this which is did you think that the male gaze aspects of Bobby came across as sexist? Because I know some people have a, not have issue with it, but have raised that as, as a point. I, my version of it is I didn't actually think it was because of, do you know what? Yes, there were discussions about her uh, uh, being a large woman and just being like, wow, like what a beautiful female form. But I didn't think it was to the point that I would consider sexist. But I just wondered what you guys thought about that. I, you know, I did, I noticed that, I mean, that, you know, um, because really it's the number of times they remarked on it that I noticed, you know, 
but at the same time, I felt that they were, that's also another aspect of characterization of the other characters, you know, that um, just they, uh, they do notice. And she is um, a very powerful, impressive, attractive person. And, uh, and so that's noticed. But I, I think it's the number of times they repeated it that probably gets people talking. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking everybody's thinking of the fact that I said I'd want to beat her. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like the like, something like Dresden Files, which I think is real problems with the with the middle gaze thing. Like it's one of the worst parts of those entire books. I don't think it, it is a problem here because one, it reminds you that she's female all the time. You know, she's dangerous and female. It's just like a constant reminder, and that these people people will underestimate her. I think in some ways because of it. Um, but also does kind of show that it's the other people that are doing it to her. And because she's the point of view character, she's not doing it projecting it outwards. And so we don't judge her. We just judge the other side characters that are doing it on the side. So it doesn't become as problematic then, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. I did think what the way I took it was that Holden, when he was kind of thinking about how that's kind of the type of woman that he was attracted to, I kind of felt that as spoke to his character and his his weakness is because he's in this meaningful relationship supposed to be with Naomi and he's still his mind still wanders instead of him having the control to just be a person and not you know and not you know follow the squirrel that runs in front of him he just he he's really easily distracted and that spoke to me about his character and that he's kind of a, a goof like he's he's not very reliable and Amos, the things that he, that he says in their conversations, I took that more of, Amo, I like Amos as a character. I liked him in the show and I like him in the books, but he's kind of a scumbag. Mm -hmm. So I, I, that's kind of the way I, I, you know, that's kind of the way I took it. But I think Alex and his, his uh, I guess, kind of semi-pursuit, he comes off a little bit more genuine and he's trying to get to know her and trying to spend mm -hmm. time with her, whereas the other ones are kind of just making remarks and, you know, making comments. Yeah. I think they do demonstrate that here's a new, very attractive, powerful person, and everyone's going to react. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I make judgments, and 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 Holden again, not believe the fact that he's boring, etc. But he's not very he's not very mature either. You know, he's still still a youngish man, put put in a prominent position. So, and he is flawed. Yeah. Very much so. I did like the beginning of um, Bobby's and Alex's friendship because, again, I think if you watch this there, you know that develops further. But I did like the the kind of discussions they had and the and the, and the first kind of blossoming of that friendship because it was done very slowly. But again, it felt kind of organic and, and almost real. It wasn't forced or anything else. And I think that that'll be nice. I can't. I literally can't remember if it does happen as much in the books, but I hope it is something that continues for sure. But it's still a contrast to Naomi and Holden, isn't it? Like you yeah. can develop, you can develop relationships. Even the one, but as you're saying, between Avisarala and and Bobby itself is developed in like a two sided conversation about where they find out of each other. And Holden and Naomi never never bother. Right. <laughs> just get into bed. They just get into bed. That, that just seems to be <laughs> what happens now again. Yeah, that's actually, that's very interesting. And, you know, you wonder if maybe there was some of that was on purpose, you know, um, 
so uh, because it does um, help us understand all of the more and maybe some of the misunderstandings, some of the ups and downs uh, that that they'll encounter, you know, throughout the story. Um, and with Alex, um, I felt like the Alex and Bobby, it was more about Alex um, being homesick in some ways. And he's kind of an, kind of interesting because he, you know, he puts on this Texas drawl and um, it expresses his, his cultural origins, but yet he's out there flying around in space and like doesn't go home, you know. So he's, it's kind of complex, his situation. And maybe I'm letting the show uh, influence me there a bit too. But you do, you do also get that, you get that little, you got that little snippet where um, Holden was saying he was the worst to Alex because he was almost the softer one. Like he was the nicer one in the group. So you got that, how you got that kind of how the group see him as well, because he's so forgiving. So I think you did get that a little bit in this book um, about, about that spoke to Alex's character. And you're right, he's, he's one of the ones that hasn't been discussed as much. He has some tidbits about his history. And uh, the fact that he's obviously an older guy and he's kind of comfortable with who he is, um, but you don't you don't have a huge he doesn't have a huge amount of um, page space yet, does he? So yeah, That's right. we we haven't at all talked about Prags. Just just putting that out there. Yes. Is that or because I'm kind of like <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking on Prags? <laughs> <laughs> kind of a important character. <laughs> I was annoyed at Prax um, <laughs> for, um, you know, being a hothead and going off, you know, half-baked and, but he is an interesting character. Yeah, he's not exactly the kind of person you would leave to run in charge of a station at the end, but is he really? Yeah. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he just, he goes to all hell when, when things, you know, he didn't eat for weeks, <laughs> you know, he didn't do anything like that. He'd just run about aimless almost until he recognized Holden uh, <laughs> off the TV, so to speak, you know, and then says, you need to help me. But yeah, but I did sympathize as a father. To turn around and say like, "Oh my God! Like, how how could you? Like, it's every every parent's worst nightmare anyway, uh, is that your child's missing, uh, and to go alongside the whole world falling apart at the same time. You know, maybe <laughs> maybe that does have the effect on you that it, that it did. Yeah, it kind of felt like um, the uh, what he ends up with at the end. He's he ends up with all these accolades and these. Mm -hmm. I thought that was just a political." just to win political points to look good i'm sure they're gonna con uh -huh. i'm sure they'll find ways to control him he's it's just a it's just to score you know political points to say look at this yeah. person that you've all uh you know gained sympathy for and he's fine and we put him in this position so he can make everything better kind of just he's become a pawn in the machine um without probably yeah. doesn't seem like he really know or anyone else really noticed that they're just he's just being used <laughs> so yeah but it, it must be, you know, we think about someone disappearing and um, just imagine in space, I mean, it could go anywhere. Where, where, where would you find someone? Just the, 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 just the vastness that they could be anywhere at all. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, it's interesting that he's there because obviously his desperation plays into some of the key decisions that they make throughout wow. it. You know, it's very much, you know, I don't care what you're going to do. I'm doing this. Uh, and you're like, they're like, right, we'll have to go along and 
go with him or support him in some way. So, you know, he, he serves a narrative device in, in that in that regard to say this is the justification for us doing this thing uh, that, that we're about to do. Uh, but to, to contrast the TV series, obviously Mays in the TV series, her role is shown throughout the whole story. I and mean, the only time we see May is at the, right, the prologue and then at the at the end. So there's an awful lot of gap filling in there, if you know what I mean, than dramatization or otherwise. And I found it really hard to separate what I'd seen in the TV series from what was happening during the book at stages, even though she was never really a thing there going god about this stage this is what was happening this is something with her friends and all of that kind of stuff i was like stop it stop it this didn't happen <laughs> you know yeah what i was trying to work out and it's and really i don't remember how how it played out in the show but so we had you know so may is the second lost daughter you know first was julie mm-hmm. and then may and may was found and uh, so I'm trying to remember, and maybe we don't have to talk about now, but May's ultimate outcome, you know, I mean, she's found and she does not end up like Julie, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I really just can't remember what happens to her after that. So, um, so I look forward to reading in the book if there, if something does else does happen. Um, but I just think it's interesting they they've used that yeah. second time they use that device plot device. Hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. <laughs> I hadn't yeah. thought thought about the, about the parallels towards that. I think that's, it, that's sorry. I was going to say because it's a show about people finding themselves in general. Like I, I think that's that's the thing. Like Amos is lost, you know. Naomi's lost. Jim's lost. Everybody's kind of lost in some way, shape, or form. Of our space, Bobby, which is talked about as well, again found herself completely lost. Uh, and the, this person was found. I did think it was a bit convenient when Mae was found that she was okay mm-hmm. in some way. Like everybody else seemed to be horrific things happened to them, <laughs> and then the one that's left just happened to be her. They did explain that away a little bit by saying yeah. that he uh, he'd seen that they were looking, so he used it as his kind of get-out clause. But actually, one of my maybe uh, negative points about this book is that actually, whenever they were in peril, it did seem like it resolved quite easily, or when they had an issue, yeah. like um, like yeah, May turns up okay. The one particular one that stood out for me is when um, Holden goes onto the ship right at the very end. And then um, all of a sudden the other guy's there to be able to blow it up. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll just go home. <laughs> and there was, a couple, there was a couple of things throughout the book that kind of did that. And I was like, oh, that's it. You had all this build up and like, oh, okay, fair enough. And move on to the next point, which is again, one of the reasons I didn't think I liked it as much as the first one. Um, but yeah, did you guys see that or? It, it does suffer a bit from the Star Trek red shirt problem. Yes. Of we have oh, a new yes. group of characters oh, introduced yes. and oh my God, they're the ones that are, you're about to die. You know, because <laughs> <laughs> that's your yeah. role in this story. Yeah, I thought I thought the same thing with the red shirt thing is as soon as this new person, this you know, there's this against all odds kind of situation, and some random person shows up. Oh, I can help you achieve this goal. And it's like, okay, yeah, they're they're not going to make it. So <laughs> <you already know. laughs> yeah. Lots of red shirts. Yeah. Lots and lots of red shirts. Yeah. I'm just just going back to Holden quickly. Do you think 
and this has only just occurred to me because of what you said, Lily. Do you think we don't get an awful lot out of Holden so that he's kind of a blank page as a protagonist so that it's thought that we, the reader, project ourselves into Holden in some way because he's going to make the right decision all the time? Do you think that's his purpose? Because he is so un underdeveloped, I think, in terms of interest compared to other, other, other characters. I think I... Hmm suspect that might be why it'd be interesting to ask Dan Abraham that. I think I think so because you know he's really just a young person that grew up on earth which we can all relate to since we've all grown up on earth and you know so we understand his culture best of all um you know and he's not a person in power like ever Sarala mm -hmm. So yeah, I think there is something to that that um, he's that blank slate for us. Hmm. Hmm. He's the everyman indeed because he comes from a position of nothing and then gains fame and people all of a sudden put the pressure on him at all corners to say, well, well what are we going to do now? Mm -hmm. But did, um, do you remember last time, I think someone in the comments put that the characters were based on the the, uh, the role-playing characters yeah. and because Holden is I think it was the paladin or was paladin, the yeah. paladin, that's a very kind of not bland because I love playing paladins in D&D but like it's <laughs> the other characters get the opportunity to be more morally grey and have different things whereas the paladin is very stuck in their way of how they kind of have to be mm. so I don't know if that plays into it at all because that's what he was initially based on um mm. that has an effect he seemed much much more interesting in the show and maybe that was just because we had a visual and the mm -hmm. expressions or but yeah he, he seemed uh, a much more likable and relatable character in the show than he is in the book than that I picked up on but maybe he'll, he'll be molded and developed over the course of the books maybe that's he starts off a blank as starts off as a blank slate, and then he becomes this interesting, interesting character at the end. I don't know. You can hope. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. My observation about about Holden always is, he'll do the right thing, not always the correct thing, but he'll do the right thing all the time. And sometimes the fun and the game as you move through the story is, well, what is the right thing here? Is you're the reader kind of going along, going, I can know what what I would do, you know, but and occasionally, you know there are outcomes that don't match what i thought or that are surprising because of that but then when it happens you're like yeah but that was the right thing to do you know it's it's an interesting quandary to kind of put yourself on all the time because you get these moral choices all the time that are there i'm glad you brought that up because there is a scene where i think abasarella makes a comment that he's um he, he he tries to do the right thing but it he tries to do the right thing but it is it always the best thing yeah. to do is it, it maybe the right thing at this moment, but he starts a war and he's, mm -hmm. he, he re, it results in all these other things happening. So I think she kind of gives, kind of pokes at him a little bit about, you know, kind of to calm down and just be quiet and, and pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Miller does the first, the same thing in the first book as well, you know, and, and busy derides him on it as well and say, you know, is these moral high ground. The, uh, this moral high ground that you have is all well and good, Sonny boy, but uh, <laughs> but sometimes it doesn't. It isn't always effective or otherwise, you know. I would be really interested to know what you guys thought about um, when when you're talking about kind of the us being able to 
uh, have an opinion on the earth about how what you thought when Bobby went into went to earth and had the whole discussion around the unemployment rates and the discussion she has with the lady at the cafe and then the um, reflection of how that isn't Mars at all because they've all got kind of one goal and no one ever be unemployed because um, I thought it was a really interesting thought process about how earth might end up I was like oh that's odd but okay <laughs> that's something I thought uh, was done pretty well because you know the inference is that Mars has like this really excellent equipment and you know the Rossi is like this state-of-the-art vehicle um, I still haven't got the reason why they call it a Corvette if someone could explain that to me but um, you know it's a very they're innovating whereas it seems the earth is stagnating and you know in terms of uh, work life and just uh, human happiness you know based on productivity so I thought they they're starting to bring that out pretty well I thought that was a commentary on the Second World War, the 20th century. You know, basically, Mars is Japan, you know, in many ways. You know, when it was reset and had to build and became a very technologically innovative and driven society, but also with this kind of core principle at the center of it of what it wants to be and what it wants to do. Whereas a lot of the other nations, and you're seeing them modern day now without getting political, that, you know, that we're getting away from innovation and creating a better life for ourselves and kind of putting our energy into all this other stuff. That's a great point. So yeah, I I felt like that that uh, dichotomy was being drawn out there, um, and just uh, you know we'll see how it plays out. And then the belt has her whole other issues going on as well. Um, yeah, I, I missed the belt. Huh? I missed the belt. In this you moment. missed the belt. Yeah, it's actually, I think, a very inter interesting society, the way they've drawn it, how people, you know, it, it's almost like Mars, yes, they're very innovative, but they're close enough to Earth to benefit uh, from, you know, uh, that wealth, um, whereas the belt, they really are just hard scrabble. Um, and so, um, you know, the personalities, the stereotypes, of um, each uh, group of people, you know, I think they're they're drawing out pretty good. Mm -hmm. so. I, I did kind of take the Mars, uh, the contrast between Earth and Mars, and Bobby coming to Earth and seeing the the differences is on Mars they have purpose, they have to survive, they they have a shared goal, otherwise they'll die. So mm -hmm. everyone has to pitch in, and everyone has to do something. I think on Earth. It sounds like everyone's getting comfortable and they're just kind of there's no purpose they don't have a purpose anymore they're too comfortable it's almost like they're on their way to being like a wally -E type of society where they're just kind of on carts you know rolling around like big blobs of flesh so that's kind of what i what i took out of is that there's they have a shared purpose and that they everyone has everyone feels important they all feel like they're the that they have a, a, a hand in uh, the society moving forward or surviving mm -hmm. It's a nice contrast from the first book, though, because it's very much black and white that Earth is the place with all the resources, the wealth, all that kind of stuff. Mars is the military, and the belt has nothing or scavengers, so to speak. But Caliban's War then sets it off to say, right, in Earth, they've all the wealth, but there's all these factions within Earth that want to do different things. 
it seems Mars and same with, with the belt. You know, it gets more complex as, as we move our way through the world to say that all these people actually, never mind outward appearances, they all kind of want different things. And I, you know, I'm still uh, stuck on the book one love story of, um, now my, my mind is going, Julie and the detective. Oh, Miller, yeah. Uh, and they like, landed on Venus, the planet of love. <clears throat> you know, Venus represents love and astrology. <clears throat> so now they've got this Garden of Eden sort of building up over there, which can be an, an Armageddon for the solar system. Or is it going to turn out to be, you know, um, a catalyst for um, greater things? And, you know, that, that actually reminds me, um, I see the proto-molecule proto as a character, you know, and I think by this time it taking human form that it's not, not in terms of um, Miller, but just the way it was created as this hybrid monster thing, you know, running around. Uh, Ganymede, um, we're start. It's starting to humanize. Well, it's another faction, isn't it? You've got Earth, Mars, the Belt, exactly. and the Protomolecule by itself. You know that's going to do what it's going to do, and everybody thinks they can control it, but actually, it's got its own ideas. Right. Yeah. And that's the symbol of um, Caliban, which is what made me start thinking of this, because Caliban is a character in a um, a Shakespearean play who um, was a slave but uh, started thinking on his own. Hmm. And so they thought they had control on, of, I mean, you know, his captor thought he had control over him, but mm -hmm. he started plotting his revenge on them. I, so, yeah. yeah, I hadn't made that link at all. I didn't realize that that was a character, but if, if, so then, then that links quite nicely because you have the whole uh, protomolecule going outside of what it was planned to do in this thing, especially with its escaping the kind of explosive parts of it and everything else. Um, and that was quite interesting. I wasn't sure what, uh, I didn't, the whole linking to the other planet thing and the whole way it was developing was, was interesting. I wasn't sure um, of what I thought about that. If I was honest, but it was, I did like the whole um, it going outside of its own um, parameters that they put on it, sort of thing. That was, that was done very well. Yeah. And it becomes Miller at the end. Mm. Well, it doesn't become Miller, but takes on the face of Miller. Represents, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's smart enough to know that it has, that in order to influence it, needs to take on a similar form. And use similar relationships, etc., uh, to to the person. Such a great end, though. Yeah, creepy end. Oh my god! Oh my god. <laughs> I had to read because I think I I honestly think I completely forgot about that last section, and I had to go back, and I was just like, how did how did I forget? Oh my god! <laughs> like creeping off. Oh my god. <laughs> Not like yeah, that's that. a great ending, and. You know the the proto molecule being so close to this huge event at the end of the first book, and then everyone kind of forgets about it. It's like it's on mm -hmm. Venus. Like so what? I yeah. think that 
I kind of wondered why is no one else really worried about this? But I think it speaks to that everyone is so involved with, with what their goals are that they're just ignoring this potential Armageddon level event that's like happening just by itself. They, I know they're, they're watching and keeping track, but it doesn't seem like everyone's anyone's really overly concerned about it. It's like don't look up, you know the. Maybe <laughs> don't look up. <laughs> don't look at Venus. <laughs> but is that yeah? Is is it maybe because what what do you do? You just run around being scared all the time because you don't understand it. You don't know what it's going to do or what it's capable of. Or do you just sit and watch it and kind of forget about it and get on with what you're doing because it's such a big concept to be scared of? And I think yeah. they did maybe point towards that when um you had oh god ever so um discuss that how it kind of um. <laughs> how they're kind of reverting back to old enemy back and forth because they don't know what to do about Venus. It's like, well, that's there. Okay. <laughs> so, but, but it's great because we as the reader are going, oh my God, but Venus, why is nobody talking about Venus? You know, uh, you know, we're, we're so Indian and because we get thrown it in front of our face all the time, say, God, they're building something there. There's something happening there. There's something going to appear out of the marks here and just wipe them all out. That's kind of, I think what happens to the readers, they're going, they're going through it saying, it doesn't matter what you're doing right now because the, the apocalypse is just about dropping your doorstep potentially. That's a great point um, because that did run through my mind. And I think didn't Alex or somebody toward the end say something like, um, uh, is the apocalypse coming? There, there was something about that, mm -hmm. but but it it is something that worries us, the reader, or worries me throughout. What's she going to do about this while she's stuck on the, you know, having radio silence on that ship and Venus is still, you know, going, you know, growing and connecting. But something else I thought of, I just want to mention with Miller, um, you know, even, I mean, Miller being the representative of the proto-molecule, you know, even in um, like all these urban legends, you know, on on Earth, um, there's all, you know, every once in a while you'll read like, oh, aliens are among us and they're walking among us. And that's the first thing I thought of when mm -hmm. um, when uh, Miller shows up again, you know, is, you know, I'm like, that reminds me of that, you know, urban legend. Um, so I think that they're tapping into um you know maybe maybe some of that or maybe it's coincidence i don't know well, it could be because it, it, it leaves the possibility that you know at any point when you meet somebody it could be the protomolecule inside somebody's <laughs> head doesn't it you know it's that thing from outer space you know potentially whether they use it or not the, the chance is always there right and plus between that so... and zombies and yeah we've got um... lots of things to Stay aware of. Oh, pardon me. <laughs> Terribly sorry. <laughs> That's right. And you, you do get the sense that everyone's doomed because of proto molecule. They have a single voice, a single goal. They're like, it's just a sheer power, and um, you know, we can adapt. It can do all these things. And everyone else, everyone else has this internal conflict where no one has a singular voice. They are all going in different directions with their own little goals. So you kind of get the sense that they're they're kind of screwed if this keeps going the way it does. They fit the archetype of the Borg in Star Trek, or you know the automatons in Doctor Who, that kind of thing. Of you will lose your sense of sense individually, but look what you can achieve as a as as an end goal. 
cool. I think I did struggle a little bit um, with the whole reasoning behind why on earth we were messing around with a protomolecule trying to make super soldiers when that Venus thing was there. And I did try to explain away a little bit by them trying to have like a first force if the protomolecule does come out. But I felt I felt I was a lot. I think maybe that's when you were saying maybe Venus wasn't getting enough attention. Like, why are you scrabbling around here making soldiers and styling them to each other um, as as the big bad rather than looking over here? But um, I don't know. I don't, did you guys struggle with that at all? Wondering why on earth they're bothering, or was that all? <laughs> it's typical Earth theory, is it not? You know, you just build bigger weapons, bigger bombs, and that will that'll get your your aims across. You know, we'll have way more nuclear weapons because, like, having 500 nuclear weapons is better than having 100 nuclear weapons. You know, therefore, nobody will mess with us. You know, it's the same kind of thing that happens throughout history here in some way, shape, or form. I just think people are, it shows that people are inherently selfish. You know, it's these factions are just looking out for themselves. And actually, all those other things don't matter as long as we're top dog. We'll survive. They'll go after the weak. I think, uh, I forget his first name, but Mr. Mao. Um really represents the high stakes and the ruthlessness of um you know that that um i guess impetus to to develop um weapons of mass destruction i mean even uh took his daughter although he did not intend that mm -hmm. um so i think they're representing um you know, uh, something that a lot of people think, you know, we, we have this military industrial complex and, and it, it will continue, you know, centuries in the future because human behavior is what it is, you know. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of took it as them, they're, they're still trying to turn a profit. They're still trying to better their position and make a few bucks before the, before the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> did you call them soup monsters, Robin? Did you call them soup monsters? Oh, okay. I thought you said soup monsters. I was like, that's actually a great, you know, because they keep talking about the goo. So I thought yeah. you were that. <laughs> I'll steal it though, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to use it. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's a good one. Said, that, you've just made me think of what the uh, the highlight of the entire book for me, I don't know what it was for you, is uh, Avasarala's comeuppance over Jules Pierre Mao. You know, uh -huh. her eventually putting, being able to put him in his place and wipe the smirk off his face. Like that kind of stuff was just, oh, it was lovely to read. You're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I hope to see some kind of, I don't know if he's out of the picture in the books or not. But it would be great to see some kind of resolution between him and and Venus um, mm -hmm. at some point. Uh, do you mean Mao? Or... Yeah, Mao. Yeah. They did. They did. They again. I'm not again. I, I don't know actually the biggest word, but they did allude to it slightly or put a thought in your head about how um, had he been contacted by his daughter or by the protomolecule as his daughter right at the beginning of the book and i didn't know if that was going to be a setup because miller obviously is at the end and you're like oh was he contacted by his daughter and it just wasn't brought up and i couldn't i couldn't remember that um because the potential there by bringing by bringing miller to contact holden is that actually he could have very well been contacted by um by julie in that point very interesting hmm. 
But I don't know if that goes in the, I can't remember if that happens in the show and like all, all the common books, so. Perhaps. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, that's interesting, for sure. Uh, anything else uh, you all can think of that we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, well, the one thing that I wanted to ask everybody, right, because I think you said it in one of your weekly wrap-ups, Steve, that they're they're quite easy reads, right? Mm -hmm. But they're quite dense. They're surprisingly mm -hmm. easy reads because like, there's a lot happens and there's a lot of science in it and there's a lot of very technical stuff in it, but it is a real page-turner. And if you don't get into like a rhythm, I can see why John or somebody didn't, didn't end up finishing it because you pick, up, pick it up for a chapter and then go... What is going on? Mm -hmm. What is what is happening here, or or something like that? So I can see exactly why that would have that effect on people. But uh, there definitely is something about it that makes it turn the page, turn the page, turn the page. I was talking to my with my friend actually about this, and um, I was thinking about to uh, how books are written or how they're structured to get people in. And one of the discussions we were having, that especially um, during the action sequences or the earlier parts of the book, it's very short chapters. So you literally just go bam, 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 bam through all of this stuff that's occurring. And I think that's kind of one of the ways that, um, that the book is actually structured to make it feel very quick and keep you going at it and getting you through those chapters. So I think yeah. it's partly writing technique um, and, and the setup to be like easily just chomped through basically. You never get too bogged down in one one section for too long. You just keep on, like, you're on the next thing, you're on the next thing. Exactly, exactly. It's just action, 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 action. Or, you know, I know in this one it was a little bit slower in the middle mm. uh, with the explanation of going through the tunnels and everything else. But for the action scenes, they are very quick, um, very short chapters, um, keeping you, um, keeping you your attention, I think. And they yeah. usually leave off on a cliffhanger too, right? I mean, I think that's something that thriller writers do a lot is they leave off each chapter on a cliffhanger to try and, um, you know, they, they walk into something or some, there's a revelation of, it, it may not be a big revelation, but it's enough to say, well, I want to know what happens. So I'm going to read the next three chapters to get back to this part of the story so I can find out what happens. So yeah, exactly. And as they were switching between obviously what was happening with Bobby and uh, Avasarala and also what was happening elsewhere, both had cliffhangers so you were you were like eek you're both like oh my god what was happening here and then you're like oh i'm back here oh my god what's happening here <laughs> so yeah i think that's a a, a way of power trading yeah and i think with everything um it does bring up deep things uh you know deep themes about human nature um and maybe some of the light-hearted more slapstick type stuff you know um helps us keep reading you know, like the suspense, like you said, uh, helps us keep reading. Um, and uh, then later on, just reflect on, well, gee, what just happened there? That's, you know, that's something to think of, think a little bit more about. Um, but one of my, you know, one of my favorite scenes is when Avrasarala, uh lands on the Rasanante. You know, that just seems so... I don't know, I thought of, um, what are those comedy shows where everybody's running around and they all like suddenly end up in the same, you know, running into each other in the same tunnel or something. And so there's still a little bit of that um, Three Stooges type stuff to me with it, but serious things to think about too. Mm -hmm. Okay, I had one which was the um, Amos character, which is, I know Leila, you said that you thought he had a lot more depth in the book. The first one, 
than in the TV series, or it was explored a bit more. And obviously in this one, you very much get um, you get a snippet of his background and then obviously interaction with his children and his kind of motivations behind why he's uh, so against or so invested in this kind of crack storyline. Um, are you guys going to read any of the short stories? In the in Memories the Legion. Yeah, I, b I believe one of the short stories is what one of the seasons is of the TV series, I think. Is, is it? Is it that one when he returns home? Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so I, I do plan to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is there a reading order? That... Somebody, somebody asked me that, that in the Discord, and I put up a diagram that somebody had gotten, even that didn't help. And something do happen. Um, obviously, I, I, I read the is it Memories Legion, yeah. Um, and something do happen in between certain books, and some of them sit outside. And I think his backstory is one that probably sits outside because you can read it at any point because it's way before um, obviously this actually occurs. So it, it depends which short story you're talking about. So it's like Cosmere in a way, I guess. That's um, another series where. Brandon Sanderson's, you know, world where there's some shorter novellas and then the longer series. But yeah, I will read the short stories too. I, I wasn't aware there were short stories, so. Oh, there's, yeah, there's some really good ones. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely want to look into it. And speaking of the, of writing, um, this is a collaboration that I, I never had the sense that there was more than one person writing it. It always seems very consistent. So I wonder how much, if it was a 50, 50 collaboration or if it was just someone else who like an 80, 20 or what, what the workload was, cause it, it doesn't feel like a collaboration at all. Exactly what I said last time. I'm, I'm wowed that it's the fact that it's because it's consistent. Yeah. Like the first book is written like the second book is written mm -hmm. and so on and so forth and the short stories. There's no like, well, this one feels different. So I'm, I, 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 have, I haven't looked into it further. I should because I said this last time and it fascinates me. Uh, yeah, I don't know if one person writes it and the other person just edits it or they do the ideas together and then the other person writes it. I'm, I'm not sure. I listened a bit to the podcast, Tan the Guy, uh, which is Ty Frank and... Uh... Wes Chatham, who plays Amos, they mainly do it. Ty Frank seems to be the science guy. He seems to be the guy that, that does all the hard science, making sure it's consistent. I think he's a rocket scientist by trade, literally. literally. Um, and he does an awful lot. The character work and the plotting seems very Daniel Abraham. If you've read any other Daniel Abraham stuff, it's very consistent. I think with that, this kind of very long form, long game kind of idea mm -hmm. of we'll give you stories here and now we'll get the characters to play with here now, but they're it's the long game we're talking about here and as each book gives you another bit of the characters gives you another bit of the world you kind of just fall deeper and deeper into a hole with it which is you know all good yeah it's a great Wonderful. podcast by the way though brilliant what's it called ty and the guy so ty and yeah. the guy uh, um, actually what was in the comment before wasn't it yes yeah. i didn't need to check it out <clears throat> <laughs> so they, they don't just talk about the, the, the expanse show they obviously do but then they link it to other things like other movies and tv series that you might have seen like alien you know all of that kind of stuff so you know you can definitely see an alien element in the pronoun molecule <laughs> uh, uh, outcomes and things that get made in ganymede etc here you know yeah to get some alien but uh, it's such an iconic uh movie and series that it's hard 
to write a science fiction slash semi horror without I mean there being some kind of connection. Connection, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's, it's such an archetype. Now, one of the other things that struck me actually is the media, the power of the media. When Prax puts his message out and garners the support and how it flipped in a second from being positive, all sorts of contributions, lots of money, and then one thing came out and it was, oh, he's a liar. He's, you know, he, everything, people are so easily manipulated, the message is so easily manipulated, uh, and just on the news cycle, one, one event can just turn it and say it, and it goes from that to just extreme hate. Mm-hmm. And actually how winning the war and the message in the end was all about manipulating the media, how Avasarala then obviously gets support, etc. It's about manipulating the media and, you know, that would be Aaron Wright, etc. Was, was lying or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Definitely agree. I also thought it was interesting to pick up, um, as to that thing that they've put out, I liked the way, because I know Lady brought this up last time, like, surely everyone does this? Surely, like, everyone's just spitting out news articles and everything else. But on here, they did address that a little bit by saying, oh, because it's got James Holden in it or because it's got this, it'll get picked up more and then it'll go um, viral, I guess. So they, they do have a bit more of a discussion because the last time you brought up, like, doesn't everyone just stick out loads of random news all the time? Why is this so big? So I thought it was nice that they addressed that a little bit because you're right, if everyone's just spewing out, how would it ever get noticed or how would it ever get mm-hmm. picked up? So I thought that was, yeah, that was quite good. But you're right, I think it was a very... I guess maybe because people just like to believe bad things. So there was such a big thing that it came out and they were like, oh, actually. And it was quite a significant, like, being told that he abused his child was quite yeah. significant bad news. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it wasn't a small thing they were uh, they were putting against him. Yeah. And, no, and it, was no, the mother, it was the mother said it as well. So it was... Exactly. I guess people don't want to be seen supporting it even just in case it had happened. Yeah. So... There's a nice little Twitter bit allegory. Yeah, it is. Uh, there was a little bit there where I wondered if, th- if those allegations were true. There was a, a short period there. I wondered, did they change this for the TV show? Because it seemed, um, it kind of was left, not for very long, but it was left open enough that it made me uncomfortable that they were helping him. Mm-hmm. So, I, but I think Amos came and asks him, is it true? And he's, he says, of course not. And he says, well, if it was, what would, would you have still helped me? He said, no, I would have throwing you out of the airlock or something like that <laughs> or broken you know broken your arms or so there you know that okay he, he didn't but there was a little period of time where i wondered is this does this really happen or is this and are they trying to manipulate the situation so yeah yeah that's right yeah i <laughs> never occurred to me at all <laughs> i was like prax would never <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and listen to you talk about Prax that way. <laughs> yeah. I was just more thinking, you know, what what are they going to do now? I wasn't even sure, you know, wasn't sure what really the outcome was going to be. Yeah. Well, uh, anything else uh, you guys can think of? No. I was going to ask no. you guys if you were going to continue the series. Oh yeah, <laughs> I already have the book. So yeah, yeah. I love Miller, so now I have to, you know, yeah. keep reading Protocol, Protomolecule Miller. And... I'm gonna start yes. a hashtag. Miller was right because yeah. it's a really bad <laughs> <laughs> That'll work. I think I've got a bad Miller hat. 
it worked so well god damn it uh, <laughs> and you're, you're right it's like because i think they do bad mouthing quite a lot in this book as well but he's such a fan of it which is is interesting since you know he's put as the bad guy often but obviously mm. everyone, not everyone who reads it but the vast majority of readers when you read reviews everyone's like i loved miller i thought it's fabulous so i think that's an interesting yeah. whatever but yeah it'd be nice to see more of miller for sure you know, he's not, uh, you know, just to finish this off, but he reminds me of Avrasarala in terms of being like this hard edged person, you know, who um, has this soft side. And in his case, ultimately sacrificed himself, you know. Um, so I do think that I think the writers do set up parallels you know, like between Pax and, um, is it Jules Pierre now? Now, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the daughters. Um, it's fascinating, yeah. Almost where it goes. That's good, but uh, not to go back to the bath and wicks too much, but Miller, again, is the last person to realize that he's been shunted out. You know, that it's that early day. If, right. if you look at a circle of friends and you can't find the idiot, then the idiot is you kind of thing. You know, he's but he's the last person to realize that in in his context of who's, why am I not getting good jobs? Why am I getting shunted out to all these things? Oh, it's because people see me as a drunk or whatever, and he's completely unaware. And again, okay. that follows through for Holden. It follows through for a lot of characters, I think, as, as they go around. In, in the first it's so heart-wrenching yeah. when he realises that it's him. Yeah. He's just like, oh, you poor, poor guy. Come on, yeah. So <laughs> good. But I think it's heart-wrenching because I feel like, again, I was talking to my friend about this, like, it, you always worry that's you. You always, mm -hmm. like, I don't, well, I don't know if you do, but I, I know I've worried, like, you always think, oh, God, is that me? Like, am I that person? Oh, I like, so it's, <laughs> it kind of makes you feel, and especially when he realises it, it's just, oh, and it brings it home, and I think that's why he's so likeable. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know if he's the same Miller when he comes back. So. Yeah, that's that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I think we've, I think we've all had those thoughts. I think that's why people love Miller because he has that vulnerability too. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Well, uh, just to get before we uh, wrap up, just to get back to Pete's uh, question, uh, what books are you reading at this time? Uh, so, Chris, what are you reading? So I've just finished Hard and Dark, book two of Sun Eater, which actually, since we've just been talking about this, is so remarkably similar in pacing and because it's dense, complicated, all that kind of stuff, but super short chapters. Like there's 70-something chapters in that book, and it is a big book, but it's very chunky, chunky, you know, very quick, easy read and utterly brilliant as well. Oh, so good. That's on my reading list for this month. I can't wait to get through it. So, yeah. <laughs> It's probably going to be the next book I pick up, and I've heard so yeah. many good things, so I'll, yeah. I shall very happily pick that up next week. Mm. Uh, Robin, what are you reading? Oh, I'm literally blitzing my way through um, The Last Policeman currently, uh, yeah. which uh, was, I think I picked up yesterday, and I'm almost three quarters of the way through. I've just oh. been literally, it's, it's just really grabbed me. So um, I recommend that if you're into slightly depressing books. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's about the world ending and a, and a policeman who has to investigate a crime and the fact that he's still continuing to do his job while the world's falling apart but it's um it's, it's yeah it's very easy read uh, but it's very interesting what about you Layla? what are you what are you reading um i'm uh 
I just purchased um, the first book in Anna Spark Smith's um, trilogy. I'm trying to remember the name of it at the moment because I just bought it. Um, but the opening uh, opening pages look good. Um, I'm also every every night I read maybe twenty to thirty pages of um, House of Chains, uh, Malazan, and just about through with that one as well. So I tend to have like a few things I'm reading at a time, and um, I don't know. I I like the variety, so I like to read. So as we all do, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm starting book two in the Empires of Dust. Uh probably today. I'd finished Caliban's War Thurs Thursday. So I'll start the Tower of Living and Dying probably today. Uh mm -hmm. cool. I have to have the trilogy done by September tenth. So <laughs> don't want to fall too far behind. But awesome. So I guess cool. uh cool. That was uh, you know, I think you uh you've all already mentioned this, but it's a very easy read, but once we start talking about it, we realize how much we may not really put too much thought into that you pick up on. So it's great. To, this is a perfect series to chat about like this because it, there's, some, there's a lot of themes you can pick up. Right. Cool. Uh, Chris, you want to tell us where people can get in touch with you if they want to? Uh, you can find my YouTube channel. It's Chris Mullen, M-O-H-A-N, and uh, you'll see videos and books and movies, as I, as I suggested earlier on. Uh, yeah, you can find my YouTube, YouTube channel, Bookends and Biscuits, but you can also find me quite often on Twitter as well under the same um, tag. So that's why I am doing And Leila? You can find me on Twitter right now. I am setting up a literary magazine website. It's just not quite ready to go yet. So but hopefully, hopefully soon. Oh, nice. Looking forward to it. Nice, nice, let us, nice. Yeah, let us know so we can boost that signal for you. Oh, thank you. Uh, thanks for everyone who came by and interacted in the chat. It's always fun. And we will hopefully see you next month. I think we're all on board for mm -hmm. book three. Yes. So I think we should be okay. Okay. So thanks again. And we will see everyone soon. Thanks a lot.